0: Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story themes and motifs of a treasured...
1: Or under arrest.
0: ...piece of cinema.
1: Dead or alive, you're coming with our podcast.
0: Coming along with us. Yeah. On a journey. Yeah. Through an 80s In, Into, I
1: mean, yeah, the 1980s, but the, the future as perceived from the 1980s.
0: Yeah, I think that we've done a lot of future, you know, near future, futuristic, sci-fi films at this point, yes. right? That's kind of been the theme of the summer. And it, the 80s feels like they've done the worst job <laughs> of of just predicting technology and feeling, I guess, I guess prescient well,
1: in their in their predictions. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe the best job, depending on how this episode turns out, <laughs> relating uh, what what I believe we've called neuroprosthetics uh, to uh, RoboCop, or, or you know, just sort of the addition of machinery, computers, AI to a person's body to make them to help them recover from you know, injury. traumatic injury. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Nerve nerve injury. Yeah. Essentially.
1: And I am going to try and make this episode not three hours long uh, because I love RoboCop and this movie's great and I could talk about it forever, but I'm going to try and spare everyone that that <laughs> journey. Uh, we're going to try and keep this one uh, a tight, tight 60 minutes. All right. If you
0: start to <laughs> ramble, don't get offended. I'm going to give you the wrap it up Wrap arm. it up. I'm just going to just do this. Box. Yeah, absolutely. Folks, you won't see it, but just, you know, <laughs> if Forrest starts talking rapidly, you'll know that I'm... Pushing him along. Yeah.
1: And on that note, let's just go ahead and uh, get started with uh, the news of the week. Let's
0: do it. In May of this year, a study was released which detailed a man who was paralyzed from the hips down after a 2011 motorcycle accident who is now walking with help from a brain implant that uses AI to help bridge the gap between his brain and the nerves in his lower body. Cool. I love it. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, this AI is, I feel like that word is just bouncing around so much lately uh, yeah. that it's like people are like no, is this real or not but it's like sometimes these things help <laughs>
0: like yeah AI is it's interesting because it's not as though it's like Siri mm-hmm. you know helping him out or anything like that but I think that when we talk about AI we can just talk about it's it, you know neural networks of computers essentially that are learning yeah uh, beyond what they were originally programmed right. with and that are able to take in vast amounts of data and yeah. process them in ways that we don't fully understand right, right. Um, to make connections that otherwise wouldn't be made
1: well good news we don't fully understand the human brain either so hooray <laughs>
0: that's right we just can com- we we invented computers that understand the human brain and nervous system in that a way it, that yeah. we never can
1: yeah it's funny so the way that the brain works generally speaking is yeah. like there are these connections between the synapses in your brain, like the uh, uh, the nerve endings, and the more you use them, the stronger those connections get. Mm-hmm. And so that's what memory is. Right. People would posit, right? It's like as you start to walk, you build these connections and pathways in your brain. And what neural networks are doing is that, but from a computer's like um like statistical perspective, right? Right. They're giving weights to certain connections, and the more you use them, the more. Like influential they are in the outcomes,
0: right? Well, that's why Chat GPT is so good at predicting the words that you're that it should be saying based off of prompts because it has just said what are the strongest connections right. between that configuration of words and the output that that's I need right. to give.
1: Yeah, that's right. And so similarly, I guess so you're it's like saying, muscle memory, basically, right. for, yeah, so for
0: computer uh, for computer
1: networks. Yeah. So you're saying like the AI here is using those neural networks to help understand how to move the body to accomplish the goal of to walking. Or help under,
0: it, it's using those networks and in a lot of different ways, basically to identify patterns of data input mm-hmm. and what the intended output should be.
1: Got it. Okay. That makes sense.
0: So we can talk about it more when we get into our story. But I mean, we, we, we're we also going to talk about not just AI advancements in people who are paralyzed, but also in prosthetic technology for amputees and people who have lost limbs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know there's been research done for a long time with monkeys where they'll install, they'll put a thing in a monkey's brain and then it can move a little... Joystick or like a robotic hand or something by thinking about it.
0: Right, we talked about this. I think um, on a previous episode, Elon Musk, I want to say, had some failed that name out. (sighs) (sighs) Had some failed experiment where he murdered a bunch of monkeys because he was trying to go too far too fast. Neural
1: link, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and he did not care,
1: and a bunch of monkeys died. Right. Well, that's sad. Uh, moving on. I mean, we're
0: tortured and then died. That's <laughs> sorry. right. Yeah.
1: Speaking of being tortured and then dying, <laughs> uh, Robocop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Robocop is the 1987 director. Uh, I'm sorry, American feature film directorial debut of a guy by the name of Paul Verhoeven,
0: who we've talked about before. Have we? Have we not? I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, we did Starship Troopers.
1: Uh, We, I mean, we talk about Starship Troopers all the time, but I don't think we've done it on this podcast, have we?
0: I don't know what we would have done it as, actually. Yeah, uh, we just recently uh, b- watched b- Star Destruction. <laughs> what you don't know, folks, is that Forrest and I watch movies in addition to this podcast. That's true. And then just do research from our couches as we watch the movie and have our own little impromptu podcasts. That's right. We have podcasts between the
1: podcasts, yeah. Yeah. We don't, I don't have to edit those, which is why they're much more fun. <laughs> we, um, we have
0: old-timey podcasts called Conversations. Yes.
1: Uh, yeah, you can't monetize those, but- We can't monetize this either, so that's fine. Um, But no, so Paul Verhoeven was known. uh, Robocop was his first uh, U.S. film. Um, He then did Total Recall, Mm -hmm. Basic Instinct, Showgirls, Starship Troopers, and Hollow Man. Um, He, I think, did a couple afterwards that were not in the U.S., um, most recently L. and then his latest film was Benedetta. Um, But they are... Like, he, he really didn't like working in the U.S. studio system at a certain point. He was just like, all creativity kind of gets, like, stamped out. Right. Um, his experience on the film Hollow Man was one that was, like, very painful for him. He's like, they just want to do, they want to take away control from directors and put everything through a meat grinder. And so.
0: Well, so we were talking about um, a different AI movie actually last night, Her. Mm-hmm. And you were basically explaining to me the role of a director and how they have final say on set. Uh, but what you failed to mention was uh that the studios I guess have final final say.
1: Yeah, depending on the director and, and everything. the contract yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, been worked that's out right. and
0: everything. And yeah. I guess he's just not big enough of a name to have final cut on his project. Verhoven. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For his um yeah, that's that's right. Probably true. Yeah. Because it's not like he's James Cameron or Scorsese or whatever. It's like I mean I was gonna say there like, are
0: some who yeah. do who
1: do have like
0: ultimate final say um, yes. after once they get funding in the green light or whatever, they can just do whatever they want to do and studios can't take That's right. anything.
1: That's right. Um but in, it's interesting in this case. So this was his first movie. He had very limited control over anything, really. Um, but the this was set up at Orion Pictures, which doesn't exist anymore, but mm-hmm. you may remember Orion as the e. No, it mm, was the the um, distribution company for the Terminator, the okay. original. And so, what was interesting there is the Orion was originally set up as like a, a fancy like prestige film distributor, mm-hmm. um, and they like didn't make any money off of those. <laughs> right. And so they like had, they're like, all right, we got to do a genre film just to turn, you know, crank out some quick bucks, and we'll do the Terminator. And then that'll get us some money. And then didn't realize, like, it was actually going to be a massive success and people would like sci-fi. <laughs> and so um, it, they they then went on to invest in RoboCop. And that one ended up, um, for a pretty constrained budget, all things considered, um, they they publicized it and marketed it. And it went, you know, made them a bunch of money. So,
0: so did, did it, I mean, I guess we're going to sort of, I'm going to, I'm going to. Go a little bit out of order. Did sure. it have a good box office opening weekend? Yeah,
1: I don't know about opening weekend, but it or made... Or return. Yeah. So it cost $13 million to make. Okay. Um, and it had a box office of $53 million, uh, plus another $24 million from home video back when that was a thing. Okay. So, like, it, it was a big hit for them, yeah. Um, I which mean, especially is why they,
0: for, like, a smaller... Uh, Distributor. Yeah, work.
1: yeah. Which is especially why they went ahead and did RoboCop 2, like, almost immediately after.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do vaguely recall that. This movie, RoboCop, uh, the the first came out before the cartoon, though, right? Yes,
1: yes, very much so. Okay. Yeah, the, the cartoon was a cheap add-on, like, money grab, cash grab. And what so year? were most of the other movies, but...
0: Yeah, what year was this, that that, that RoboCop? A- 87. 87. Yeah. So I was four.
1: Sure. When yes, it came that's out. right. That's right. Yep. i
0: like, how old was I when I <laughs> should not have been watching parts of it? Yeah, you
1: probably didn't watch it at four. It's probably several years later when you're like seven and it was on video at this Yeah.
0: Point. I mean, it's also possible that my parents rented it when I was a little bit older, even. I mean, because yeah. that's how video works. Yes. Yeah. Get whatever's at the.
1: Blockbuster. That's right. Yeah, whatever they put the big uh, cutout next to, you just buy that thing. Right. Read that thing. So uh, this movie almost didn't get Paul Verhoeven to direct it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he read the first fifteen pages of the script and threw it away. <laughs> um, he says it was so far away from all the other films he'd made, which were all Dutch films. He said, like, if he had ever covered war or violence or whatever, it wasn't from a um, the perspective of glamorizing it. It right. was like the trauma of war violence. Um, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, I guess this does glorify it to an extent, especially for, like, a, a person who you can get that out of it if that's what you're looking for, yeah. and you want no subtext, that's and you right. want nothing deeper, then yeah. you can be like, cool, there's guns, and people Blowing exploding, people, and yeah, yeah. whatever, right? But, um, I mean, I guess you're about to tell me that, that, that he saw more in the script.
1: Well, he he did eventually but it was actually not him first it was his wife first oh. um so his wife picked up the script off the the heap mm. and started reading through it and she was like i think you should read more into this like this is not just a you know simple um shoot 'em up action movie this is something deeper and so i think that you know where you'll find the the thing that they sort of um he picked up on was he was interested in like the the philosophical underpinnings mm-hmm. of the script. So less about the action, although he did sort of seem to enjoy uh the ultraviolence of it all, right? So right. He, he was like, he constantly told the um props people like more blood and so like on the on the director's (laughs) commentary the producer was there and he's like i just kept remembering i had to go to the grocery store and buy bigger and bigger ziploc bags that we could put more blood in for the squibs (laughs) because do you know how a squib works
0: right yeah uh no
1: yeah so you you take a bag filled with blood Mm -hmm. and you um underneath that between the skin and the bag you put a small little explosive charge okay and the explosive charge faces one direction Mm -hmm. so it doesn't hurt the actor you know, knock on wood, um, but it, it will explode the bag and all that liquid will just go. Gotcha. And so That's called a squib. And uh, they just got like the, the biggest blood bags they could uh, for this movie because it was so over the top and so comical. Right. And that's, that's one of the things Verhoeven brought to it. He was saying like, it should be so grand, so right. large that it seems more like a Looney Tunes comic than like any kind of realistic violence.
0: I know. I mean, I think that's, I, th- I think that's pretty apparent as yeah. you're watching it. And again, if you are taking this from the perspective of somebody who's trying to make a point, mm-hmm. then they are trying to make the point that the violence that you see, especially in American cinema and especially at that time, is n- is is maybe uh, not... Uh, or is, is maybe more horrific than mm-hmm. you would think. And so let's make what we see on the screen bigger to yeah. match how horrific it actually is in real life. Like the 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 impact, not necessarily like the accuracy of it. Right, If right. that
1: makes sense. To, yeah. to
0: me, that's what I take away from it. It's like, we're going to make this completely over the top to show you how insane it would be if this happened.
1: Yeah, that, but also I think it was, so there are a couple of influences on this, one of which is sort of the um the discussion against american imperialism and uh weaponization okay. so like this was sort of you know uh, 10 years or so after the end of the vietnam war mm-hmm. um and one of the writers was like yeah like i'm sort of commenting on the militarization of america and mm-hmm. so when we have these you know people getting shot it's not just like a police officer shoots somebody and there's a bullet wound and that's bad it's like it has to be like these ultra like like hardcore explosions almost of the human body Mm -hmm. to show like how damaging we've gotten as a society that kind of thing right um the other big influences were um, obviously the reagan administration (laughs) and reaganomics the idea of overturning um, ideals of the common good and focusing on you know corporations owning everything everything's being privatized Uh including the police department um and then um from from Verhoeven himself he said he saw RoboCop a bit like a futuristic Jesus so there there is obviously the Christ metaphor here of the um
0: like raised from the dead
1: yeah so um the he says that the the story the passion story of Christ uh, played a big deal in his the way he framed Murphy's death um okay. and and resurrection as RoboCop Um, so, and, and also, uh, at the, towards the end, there's a part where at the end, RoboCop walks across water. Um, he says, yeah, like in the fountain of the ICP building. Okay. uh, He walks across the water in order to, I think it was either when he shoots Ed 209 or, um, when he gets Dick Jones. I forget which one it is, but like, it's when he kills something Mm -hmm. and he's like, that's the American Christianity specifically. It's not that robocop is here for salvation of your soul is robocop is here to punish your enemies and that he's like that's very american christianity and Mm -hmm. like i heard that on the commentary i was like hell yeah paul verhoeven um
0: (laughs) where's he from he's dutch dutch yeah Yeah. he's from
1: the hague so interestingly enough he also wrote a book about jesus oh yeah he i forget the name of it but he um i think it's called jesus of nazareth if i remember correctly and it is just about the actual historical Jesus. Um, I read a book uh, about the historical Jesus by Reza Aslan called Zealot. Right. And that book is awesome. And so I probably will pick up this one, too, because Verhoeven's amazing. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I really appreciate his, his historical knowledge on the subject, subject mm-hmm. and then saying, yeah, I'm going to put some of those undertones in the, like, in the movie.
0: I did not catch any of that at all, but I i mean, I think we've talked about this before. I'm a heathen who knows very little and thinks very little about the Bible, sure. and I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think it's a big, I don't think it's something you have to get.
0: But the walking on water reference, I get, I, mm-hmm. uh, Sure. You know, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yep. Uh, so the um, only other thing I'll mention really quickly about the setup here is mm-hmm. obviously the the great Peter Weller um, plays You know, RoboCop slash uh, Alex Murphy. Okay, and so they said that when they casted him, they were looking for three things. Uh, They needed jawline,
0: right? Because you're only going to
1: see the bottom half of this guy's face, right? Um, They needed him to be thin,
0: so that they could have the the he could fit into the costume.
1: Exactly, right? Yeah. So the costume was so big that um he you needed a skinnier guy muscular still but like skinnier so he could fit in the costume and the costume could still fit in like a car Right. so originally they had pitched compact yeah they had pitched schwarzenegger um as oh. as the actor for robocop <laughs> and it's just like he would they said i think he would look like the michelin man <laughs>
0: schwarzenegger's body already looks like robocop yes. without any plating or additional stuff you literally yeah. would just spray paint him silver mm-hmm. and he would be the same build as robocop yeah. so yeah you couldn't do that
1: yeah and so the um
0: they watched they pitched Schwarzenegger after he had already done, done Terminator, Terminator yeah. for uh,
1: okay. Orion, yeah. Which was <laughs> it was ridiculous, but um, and so anyway, the the, the thinness of uh, Paul, uh, Peter Weller was great, mm. and then also the, the producer said that he his face because it was so long and his his eyes were a little sunken, and he has that like sort of like Russell Westbrook face where he's like he looks like he could be a lizard person. Mm-hmm. His jaw, his uh, cheekbones come out so so directly um, that it seemed like he had this like mythic self pity. And so it could, when he's not in the costume in the first act of the film, you could sense that there was something foreboding about his presence there, right? It's like something was going to go wrong.
0: Yeah. I, what? As so I'm looking it up right now, I'm just wondering what else Peter Weller is in, has been in. I don't
1: know, I have his filmography pulled up. Apologies for that. Ooh, he but. was in
0: an episode of House. Oh, he was in several episodes of House. There you go. Uh, episode of Dexter. I mean, he's been in some stuff that I have watched, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure I've seen him in things. Yeah, I mean, Um, if you go
1: back into the 80s, early 90s, you're probably going to see more of him. He's also, he was a big theater actor at the time. Like, one of the reasons he didn't do RoboCop 3 supposedly was because he was in the middle of I think Death of a Salesman or some play on Broadway Uh I think the reason he didn't do RoboCop 3 is because that movie sucked so (laughs) you know (laughs) he did did the second one and he was like no thank you
0: I I think that we didn't really with the exception of um, The Godfather Mm -hmm. With the exception of the Godfather, we as a society or Hollywood didn't really uh, start placing much emphasis on the third installment of a franchise right. until at least you know the late 2000s. yeah
1: franchises were not supposed to be trilogies so yeah uh, it was it's it's an interesting idea that now like sort of everything that seems like it has some IP is supposed to be a story of threes which is right annoying. exactly I yeah. think
0: I'm gonna say Toy Story 3 first big three movie. Third installment that wasn't originally planned to be a trilogy.
1: I am gonna say Blade Three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but
0: I mean, that's sort of that yeah, proves yeah, yeah. my point, right? Yeah. It's like before the 2000s, really. Like, I mean, movies—if it's a third installment, you know, it's gonna be garbage, and it's it's gonna be straight to the DVD, straight or to DVD. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. So the um, the other only other thing I'll mention is um, a couple other actors. Nancy Allen plays Anne Lewis. They they wanted an actress who like they could. Um, not have to be like, oh, we're going to sexier up. We're going to show off like big bosom and like, you know, f- whatever. Like right. they just wanted a, a normal police officer person. And uh-huh. I think they did a good job with that. Right. Um, Verhoeven is is sort of, uh, he said that um, in this, in the movie, you probably noticed it early on, there's a woman who's topless in the room where they're like changing. All the police officers are changing in their gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, yeah, I wanted to show that like in this advanced, you know, world, there's no real like sexualization of the, of the sexes in that space in like that workspace in the police officer space. And right. He's like, he, he does a
0: similar thing in starship troopers. And that's what
1: he says. He says, but it went so fast <laughs> in, in RoboCop. That oh, I, I saw it. That I st- <laughs> he's like that. I stole it again and used it in starship troopers. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, and then we have Ronnie Cox who plays Dick Jones, um, who is actually, uh, he's a, a fantastic character actor. Also a re- very good musician. Mm-hmm. Um, he played, he was in, uh, Total Recall as well. He plays like the guy on Mars, like the sort of head of Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kurtwood Smith, known as Red from uh, That 70s Show.
0: Yeah. Um, bad guy in this is is the the dad, yeah. the hard-ass dad in That 70s Show. Yeah, and it's
1: funny. Um, he plays Clarence Boddicker and- uh, in the commentary, like every time he's on screen, uh, the, they're like, "He is such a nice guy," and he always gets cast as such an asshole. <laughs>
0: he, you know what it is? It's his eyebrows. It's yeah. just the the shape and uh, like. Angle of his eyebrows combined with his forehead—it's mm-hmm. just an unfortunate, like the hairline. This top half of his face yeah. is is just menacing.
1: Yes, when well,
0: I could see him being a perfectly lovely person.
1: Yeah, and Verhoeven said that he cast him specifically because he reminded him of Heinrich Himmler, the the Nazi. Uh, the, I get the Nazi. Um, <laughs> we famously, the, famously the, the Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and he says that's why they put the glasses on him because when they did that, he did he he had a resemblance to yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and so Verhoeven knows two things the history of World War II and Nazism, and uh which is why he made Starship Troopers mm-hmm. and uh Jesus, which is why he made like Benedetta and stuff right. like that. So he's uh, an interesting dude. He seems like he'd be fun, a fun hang.
0: Yeah. Um we might have different <laughs> definitions of a fun hang, but I'd let you go on that uh on that journey. On that, on that dinner date alone.
1: Cool. Yeah, we'd have we'd have a good time. The, um, the other thing that was funny is uh, so Nancy Allen, the the um, actor who played Lewis, she arrived on set when they were shooting that like sitcom that's like a takeoff on Benny Hill, where it's like I'd buy that oh, for a right. dollar. Cake so, boobies, right? And so it's like you have all these women who are scantily clad with like big boobs running around from this guy who's like a complete cheese ball. And she saw them doing that, like the second unit was filming that, mm-hmm. and she was like, "I don't want to be in this movie anymore." <laughs> 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 um, but she, obviously it was fine.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, well, should we uh get into the film?
1: Yes. Yes, let's do it. So um the the big thing is uh, you know, Peter Weller's character is a police officer who shows up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um he he was in the like south side of Detroit and got moved into this new precinct in the worst precinct where there have been many police officers killed over the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, disorder in the ranks, talk of a strike. Um there is an officer that has recently been shot and is in the hospital, and uh, they're waiting to hear if he'll survive or not. So He does not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and this is the lead into uh, Peter Weller's character, um, uh, Murphy, joining up with Lewis as his new partner, um, and them chasing after, basically, Kurtwood Smith and his gang. Um, I forget, they, I think they robbed a bank or something and had a bunch of money, and it and led to a car chase. The car chase led them to a location where the police officers foolishly chased them in. And it was like, there was no moment where you ever thought they were going to be okay? It wasn't like ah, these tricky police officers or these plucky, you know, um, law enforcement officers will find their way. Out. They're
0: going to they're going to fire fight their way out of yeah. this firefight or it's whatever. Like
1: Peter Weller gets caught and immediately tortured and murdered.
0: Right. Well. Okay. Wait. Before we get into that too much, though, because uh, you one of the things you sold me on yeah. with this film is the 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 um, the way that uh, the, the plot mirrors itself. So sort of backing up, we do start even before that sort of being introduced to this world with like that dystopian news sort of thing, which somehow is still not as bad as actual news today. Right, Still not as obnoxious and mind rotting as like, I think you probably just couldn't conceive of it in the 80s, but like CNN and like Six split screen yeah. talking heads screaming at you with a Chiron at the top and the yeah. bottom. This
1: was still very much like local news that they were riffing on here. So it's like yeah. if you're two anchors and like the TV screens and but like the news they were talking about, um, some of it was real. Like the the Star Wars system. Um, mm-hmm. When I listened to the DVD commentary, they're like, "Oh yeah, George W. Bush is trying to bring that back." Right. Um, and you know that the mentioning of the Star Wars system in the opening of the film has a payoff later at another media break. Where the Star Wars system malfunctioned and killed, like, two former presidents in Santa Barbara. Right, it just, like,
0: destroyed an entire region of the country. Yeah. Like, and in that sense, the region of the country was on fire because of uh, satellites, I guess, destroying them. And in our future, present, it is also constantly on fire for
1: different dystopian reasons. Yeah, so they got the fire part right, but the reasons were wrong. Right, the world is
0: burning. Hey, maybe
1: the world's on fire because of satellites, I don't know. Right. Right. But well, <laughs> anyway. I had something
0: else that was interesting too, is they had this commercial that had, um, they were sort of introducing this idea of commercialized healthcare, yes. which we do have now yes. commercials about doctors and ask your doctor about blah, 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 right. blah, blah. Like, I don't think that that was around back then or as prevalent these commercials for healthcare, but yeah. it did at least predict that. But the thing that got me was that they were talking... It seemed to imply that there was government-funded healthcare
1: in those commercials. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, see if your provider will cover it. Maybe, like, tax credits or whatever. Right. And I'm like,
0: so in this dystopian future, they have government-funded healthcare? So
1: I think it's interesting because tax credits are are really just privatization, right? Which is just saying, like, oh, we're going to get... You pay for it up front, and maybe we'll reimburse you for something. But what do we cover? What do we not? Like... It's 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 like school choice vouchers. It's the same bullshit.
0: Right. But, but yeah. with school choice vouchers, yeah. there's still like if you're privatizing, you are still privatizing something that yeah. was publicly available.
1: Yeah. Honestly, like I don't remember that part of the commercial enough because I just remember uh the the prop of the fake part. <laughs> it's just so hilariously <laughs> it's bad. It's too large to I know. heart. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. All
0: right, sorry. Um, so uh yeah. But, those were things that stuck out to me. I was yeah. like, oh, this is this is somehow still not as bad yeah. as the world we live in yeah. today.
1: That's that's true. Yep. So, but we so we have the the Murphy through line, right. And the police, and then we also have um, ICP, uh, which is their. I, I always forget like something consolidated products sort or of, whatever, but it's basically a weapons manufacturer. And they're launching this new thing called ED-209, which is their <laughs> law enforcement uh. agent. They've also <laughs> taken over the police department, so they sort of run the show now. Right, like, do whatever right. They want. And uh, they set up ED-209 in this big boardroom to demonstrate. And they have a guy stand there with a gun and pointed at the machine. He's like, you have 20 seconds to comply. Put the gun down. And he does. And the machine uh, kills him anyway. <laughs> Just absolutely. Doesn't read it. Yeah. Like,
0: malfunctions, basically. And it's like, mm, you're dead.
1: Yeah. And there's a, so he, he kills that guy and there's a, a line at the end of that scene where someone uh, yells out, call the paramedic uh, <laughs> or somebody call a paramedic. Right. And in the original cut, mm-hmm. there's an additional shot, an overhead shot of the person who's just like lying there bleeding everywhere mm-hmm. um, where there's a laugh line. So it's actually played as a joke because that, I mean- the guy just got completely destroyed. There's no calling the paramedic, right? No, it's obviously I mean, it's obviously f- funny, I and think so I did laugh, though, right? So there's a little bit of the laugh in the in the um, theatrical cut, okay. But I think if you watch the director's cut, they have the overhead shot where there's actually a laugh line, which indicates what we're supposed to be taking away from the film, mm-hmm. which is this is. A, a perverse society that has no value on human life, right? Mm. And it's a commentary on that corporatization of our culture, right? And so I don't know. I, I I like those little touches of oh this oh you're saying something here. I get I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is the stop motion of Ed Two Hundred Nine. Right. Um, is all done by a guy Phil Tippett, and we have talked about Phil Tippett before. He's done. He did the. Rancor in Return of the Jedi. He did some of the Terminator stuff, I believe. Like he's, In the original
0: Terminator. Yes.
1: He's very well known for all of his stop motion stuff. So um, Phil, Phil Tippett, he, he's got a um, film that released last year called Mad God. that okay. he'd been working on for like 20 years. So uh, he's a good, he's an interesting dude. He's got a, a big background in Hollywood. Um, he did all the um, stop motion effects for Jurassic Park. He obviously oh. did Starship Troopers working with uh, Verhoeven. So like he's got... He did the movie Willow. He did Howard the Duck. <laughs> what um, it, what
0: stop motion stuff was in Jurassic Park?
1: He was a supervisor for dinosaur animatronics, so not stop motion, but animatronics. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, so he's he's really um, kind of a genius in a very specific sort of niche area, right? Um, and so uh, he did. He was a visual effects advisor on all of the Twilight stuff. Go figure. Okay that CGI deer drinking from a crystal clear pond at the beginning of the first Twilight movie. Oh, I'll fill it. No, I don't have no idea. <laughs> but,
0: I was like, wow. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so shout out to shout out to him. And then, uh, the Robocop suit, which we'll get into in just a moment. Well, mm-hmm. actually I'll save this part. Let's save some, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so now we end up with two parallel narratives. What's going on with the corporation, ED 209, not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and this hotshot, um, guy you know, coming in trying to steal thunder, saying, oh, we've got the RoboCop prog- program ready to go. Now we're just waiting for a quote unquote volunteer, which by which he means a police officer to die.
0: Right. I am I misinterpreted when they said volunteer. I was like, oh, they're waiting for somebody to be like on their deathbed. Please take me a volunteer. <laughs> and they just meant, oh, we're uh, a uh, sarcastic volunteer. Right. We're waiting for somebody who is already dead and we get to use their body because mm-hmm. they probably signed away the rights to it.
1: That's right. That's right. This is where those elements connect. Murphy is uh, tortured and killed in this like iron facility. Like they shot this in Pittsburgh, so it was just like an old abandoned factory. Yeah, basically. some factory. Yeah. So right. most most of the film was shot in Dallas, but th- this part was in Pittsburgh, I believe. Okay. Um. And so like his hand gets blown off, and it's like just so the
0: most gory thing yeah, you've ever seen. Yeah.
1: And th- this is actually so the film was almost rated X. And they okay. had to submit it to the MP- uh, uh, MPA like twenty-two times or something. Oh my like that. gosh! Um, and just like tiny little cuts here and there. So like they cut off like five or six seconds of this, you know, scene. Some of the the gorier parts were left out. I don't, not that you could tell.
0: <laughs> I yeah. I mean, wow. What would the what would that look like now? Do we even have rated X movie ratings anymore? It's now in
1: C seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And there is. It's like it's. Um, functionally a death sentence for movies because no major chain like cinemark or amc or regal will play an nc-17 movie
0: i guess i was just thinking that with streaming now if you had something and c 17 or or whatever it's just not rated yeah it's just not rated and you just put it up you it you just don't worry about it going to a theater at this point
1: yeah i mean that's right so you could technically do it that way and like if if apple tv wanted to do like a nc-17 quote-unquote thing that could potentially get an oscar run or whatever Mm -hmm. they could do that and just put it up in like the ifc center in new york and la so it could get a qualifying run and then put it straight to their platform so technically you could do that i also just don't think that's like gets a ton of uh consideration i just don't think they care you know right right um but anyway so so uh i think the one shot that the d- cutout that definitely helped it is they had a shot of like um, Murphy's brains exploding out of the back of oh his head. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so that was um, – that w- they cut that. <laughs> and so – Right. Um, so at the end of Act 1, we now have Murphy dying. We see from his perspective them trying to save him, mm-hmm. you know, in the hospital. And we hear what's being said in the hospital. It's like, all right, call it on this guy and we're going to go get lunch whatever. Mm-hmm. Very callous um, nature. But then it cuts to black and they revive him they start to tinker with him and we have this montage of events going by so right you know he's he's um, in a lab he's surrounded a lab. by white coats white coats they talk about oh we're gonna you know oh he uh, has this arm damage we could potentially save it and the guy who's in charge of the program is like just cut it off just just get rid so of it. so
0: unbelievable he's just looking at a body he's yeah. just looking at meat he's at like he's already
1: dead we can do whatever we want It's mm-hmm. a literal line from here uh, from this part of the, the film. So he's rebuilt. Um, and one of the things that they said in the director's commentary that was so interesting to me is when RoboCop is ready, mm-hmm. no longer Murphy's RoboCop. Right. He, I forget the name of the character, but the guy who's running on the RoboCop program who's trying to like take over ICP because of that program. Mm-hmm. He like has a level of pride. He's like, hey, hey, come on, get up. They're cheering for you. Like, right. and it kind of gives us a little softer look at that character who is pretty deplorable like he's like a womanizer. He like is uh, basically sexually assaulting his coworkers. like yeah, hes he's a bad guy. Pretty terrible person. Yeah, but you, know, he gives you us a, a little soft touch there, which isn't a nice nice thing that the actor did. Um, but anyway, so Robocop gets up, and the reveal isn't just like Robocop stands up and we see him, right? That would be very sh- like almost comical to like see that Robocop design um, just just out of the blue. So what they do is they reveal him behind like frosted glass in the mm-hmm. police station, and you have that nice sound effect where it's like, dzz, 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 mm-hmm. and you add weight to it, right? And he comes out um, because
0: prior to this, you're all seeing it from his perspective. That's
1: right; it's all first person, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's cool. I think it, they did a good job with that reveal. Um, and then and then here we are. We're at the beginning of Act Two with uh, Robocop in full costume or whatever. <laughs> sure.
0: Well, okay. So. Speaking of yes. taking a man and reanimating his body. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's talk about uh, this this man in uh, Sweden. Yeah. Uh, where they Swi- do nope. have healthcare. Yeah. Sorry, Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, so
1: they have healthcare there too.
0: Um who who also he was uh paralyzed from uh the hips down. Okay. And he has been able to walk again. Hmm. Um so he was in a 2011 um motorcycle accident that left him paralyzed and there was a study that was published in May of this past year in the journal called Nature where s- researchers in Switzerland led by this guy named Grégoire Courtine Okay. I'm pronouncing that super
1: duper wrong. That's fine.
0: Um, is a he's spin- not listening? <laughs> no, he's a spinal cord specialist at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lucan. Okay. Um, and he led this research team. And they basically had this technological discovery that allowed this gentleman, Mr. Oskum, um, a 40-year-old man, to stand and walk uh, and also to ascend a steep ramp with only the assistance of a walker. Oh,
1: wow. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, and the the technology is is, is super interesting. Uh, it uses AI, but it's also fully wireless. The way that it was shown in a in a chart that I saw, basically, is they have um, an electrode that's in his brain, and it wirelessly transmits to like a backpack that he wears. Mm. And they're like, and then and they show like a. Um, a drawing of the backpack and then the device that's inside is basically just a laptop
1: yeah yeah sure
0: so it's just it, lo- it almost looks like he's going uh, to school somebody's <laughs> like, yes right it's like a GN sport and they got a laptop yeah. inside of it but it's, it's transmitting to the laptop and then that laptop has ai capabilities yeah. like a processor basically and that transmits it to a device that stimulates his nerves oh interesting okay. and so the ai is able to Basically, create what what they call um, like a a digital bridge between his brain and the what the nerves are trying to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: and so the AI is trained and calibrated based off of you know what they're they're saying. Like, okay, you're trying to take a step, right? Right, right? And so the AI is trained to say, okay, this is what taking a step is, and so it's able to take you know, this massive amount of data input from his brain of like what it's trying to send out and I guess interpret it and then reconfigure it to send to the electrode to, to make it do what the brain is trying to do.
1: Huh. That's really cool. I mean, that's, that's, it's one of the things that I'm like, I I bet that was probably pretty easy to think of as a solution. And damn near impossible to implement <laughs> like it's like very difficult
0: <laughs> right right exactly so i mean the it's it's electrodes that are you know first um implanted in the spine and then they use like this machine learning program to observe which part of the brain's get lit up when he tries to do something right. um and then they match the the activity to various electrodes um and match it up with the intention that he has um and they use uh, an algorithm a different algorithm To uh, connect the brain to a spinal implant, basically. Mm -hmm. Almost like a, I mean, it's an epidural, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which people know of an epidural from childbirth. More like, yeah, women get epidurals during childbirth. What's really cool about it is that it is, uh, uh, signals are sent every 300 milliseconds. Okay. Which means that the brain, he's able to have like uh, account for slight variations. Um, and, oh, okay. and adjust and readjust based off of like what he needs to do in order to walk up it. Cause walking is so incredibly um, you have to have complex. Like, lo- yeah. You have
1: to have very low latency to be able to process everything as quickly as you need to. Exactly. But, yeah.
0: So if you're sending signals every and readjusting and using AI every 300 milliseconds to learn and, and, and do what you need to do in order to, to do that, then that's, that's really what you need in order to be able to um, to be able to achieve that. And it, it, it's, it's almost immediate. So basically within the first treatment, he was able to twist his hip.
1: Huh. okay.
0: Um, which, uh, you know, and then he took several months for, uh, researchers to like sort of fine tune what the interface, uh, was doing the brain spine interface to, to better fit his like actions and intentions. Okay, cool. Yeah, now the final cool thing about this is that a year after his treatment, um, he began to notice clear improvements in his movement even without the aid of the of the interface. Oh,
1: that's cool. So he was- So his body was adjusting maybe or is it? Or yeah, was, he was okay. able
0: to like walk around with a walker um, even without the the device turned on.
1: That's really neat. Yeah. So I wonder if it's like, It was giving his body a a different pathway to connect in order to do some of that work, right? Yeah. I don't know. Or stimulating some nerves. I don't know. The article
0: doesn't get too, too much into it. But I mean, that's kind of what it seems like. (laughs) Honestly, can you ask
1: the question, journalist, please? And then magic. And the end. It's like-
0: yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I what's what's interesting is I, I think that a lot of what we see with AI, with this like bridge that's being created yeah. from, by AI, is, is still sort of this black box. Even like yeah. the black box yeah, that yeah, you yeah. see with ChatGPT, scientists, um, technologists don't really know what, they can't exactly tell you what's happening. Yeah. The AI is just sort of doing magic yeah. and making connections that like we just can't possibly begin to understand as, as,
1: yeah as mortal people. Sure. As people who can't just look at that much data over this shorter amount of time. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Interesting. Well, that's, that's cool. I mean, um, I, I hope this is the first of many, right? I hope this is like a good opportunity to scale this out, to help people who are you know, paralyzed and and can be generally applicable. It's not just like a one-off sort of science experiment. I mean, know?
0: yeah, I can't imagine it's got to give hope to a lot of folks um, who have spinal cord injuries. This is something that is still very, very early because yeah. obviously it's a trial of a single person. Yeah. And the prototype is, as I mentioned, a kind of large backpack that yeah. you, or not large, but it's a backpack that has a, a laptop in it. Right. And, um, there, it's, it still requires an invasive brain Surgery. implant. Yeah, totally. But it is still super cool and i mean you know prototypes it's proof of concept right yeah um i'm sure that if you could uh get some scientists or whatever at a company or a startup or whatever i'm sure they could make it much sleeker and sure or whatever yeah but super super cool stuff yeah
1: well that's awesome uh and and i imagine they did something similar to robocop because they definitely did have to put. Some, like, uh, visual training in his head to tell him, like, where his body's doing and, like, right. point to things. Um, and this is actually where we start to see some of that in the film. So you're introduced to RoboCop in the police station as mm-hmm. he rounds the corner. And someone throws some keys and he goes to catch him and he says, I'll drive. Or whatever. <laughs> um, and what's very funny about that is that's the first scene they shot in the RoboCop costume. Oh, okay. So... Uh Peter Weller got there, I think, at four in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, we'll get you in the costume. It'll take a couple hours. It took them seven hours to get him in the costume. Oh, wow. And <laughs> he had been practicing, right? So seven hours. he had been working with a professional mime to figure out the movement for RoboCop. Okay. It was originally supposed to be more like serpentine, snake-like, okay. and then he got into the costume and was like, that's not gonna work. So they had to like, <laughs> take several hours. Um, actually, they shut down production for a couple days, so he could work with the mime coach to figure out the movements for RoboCop. Um, but on this morning, when he's in the costume and they get that first shot, he was in there for seven hours, which they didn't expect. Uh-huh. And then he goes to catch the keys and the hand is made out of rubber. So the keys just bounce off.
0: I was going to say, I bet they had a hell of a time trying yeah. to
1: catch those keys. It took 50 takes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no. And that's the
1: only shot they got that day. So he spent he spent uh, seven hours in makeup just to get one shot of him catching keys in, in that rubbery hand, and then that was it.
0: I think it's wild that they didn't have like a dry run of the costume before so, yeah. the day of.
1: So they couldn't because they hired someone else. Uh, they, well, they hired a person uh, whose name I do not know uh, to make the costume, mm-hmm. and it looked like trash, like mm-hmm. utter garbage. So they went to this guy, Rob who who is a notorious costume designer mm-hmm. and, and uh, special effects artist in Hollywood. And um, they were yeah. like, Rob, you got to make it. Like, you just so, – we're running late. We don't know how you're going to do it. He, you have great designs, but, like, get great concepts, but just make it, please. Right. And the costume was running late. And so they were on set for two weeks before the costume arrived and they were just like trying to find anything to shoot. Like they were trying to find, you know, uh, oh, can we get a pickup here, an insert here, you know, mm-hmm. um, some of the bad guy stuff here. We shot that scene in the bathroom. We had to build a bathroom in the studio right. so we could get that before the, the um, costume arrived. Um, and one of the, the funny things that they didn't shoot was the death scene that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh, for for Murphy. Um, and Verhoeven said that he knew they were running behind schedule and over budget, and so they just didn't film that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when they got an edit together, and that scene was missing, he knew that the studio would be like, "Well, where's the the death scene?" He's like, <laughs> "Oh, we didn't we didn't have the money or the time to get it, but we could do reshoots." And so they ended up getting it in reshoots. Oh,
0: that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, no, that's smart though. Yeah, because. If you know that you're running over budget, you just leave out the thing that you absolutely have to have and be like, oh, shucks, guys. Yeah, we
1: just didn't have time to get Oh, I
0: didn't even think about that. Yeah,
1: now that would never happen. (laughs) The producer who was on the DVD track was like, uh, yeah, studios wouldn't let you get away with that anymore. (laughs) Like they have someone on set. Um, But anyway, so basically the middle part of the film is we're seeing RoboCop go out and uh, fight crime. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's doing things like throwing people through plate glass windows. And, um, there's a a guy who's trying to like rape a girl and he shoots him in the dick. And, uh, there's a funny little like YouTube edit of like him just shooting a whole bunch of people in their dicks. I'll throw in the, in the links. But, um, so that was a funny moment. And then he had IDs, one of the criminals as an accomplice of, uh, Kurt smith's uh boddicker character right mm-hmm. so he's like we killed you we, we you can't be here we killed you and robocop ID's his face and runs it through this like very old school looking like database system in the police department which i thought looked great but definitely looks like the 80s yeah
0: i was trying to figure out how i knew this guy and i finally did he was like the super jerk doctor in early seasons of er Oh, okay which were the only seasons of er that i ever watched sure, sure. but uh, he he definitely plays a jerk yeah in that. Um it's funny because it almost like he almost looks like similar to the guy red yeah. um who plays the, the main bad yep, baddie. Yep. I mean they're both just balding and sharp jawline and yeah, gaunt. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes, very like very uh wispy sort of sort of yeah yeah. Um but anyway so he that helps him ID the the bad guys. He goes to Find their location, mm-hmm. uh, which is I guess they are um, trying to sell cocaine. Like that seemed to be the thing that they were. They like got a cocaine yeah, factory. I mean, it's just drugs. Yeah, it was just like fill in 1980s like drug stuff, like basically. Right. Um, and then the um, at the same time, we see the um, that executive who launched the RoboCop program starting to like take advantage of RoboCop being good at what he's doing. And uh, you know, like trying to maneuver his way around um his the, company. Yeah, his company. Mm-hmm. Um and and in doing so, he upsets the uh the main boss, well, the, the second in command, I guess, Dick Jones. Okay. And Dick Jones is like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you, buddy. Right. right. And so there's a lot of like
0: He was the one who originally invented the the robot that uh, killed ED, everybody.
1: Yeah, ED209, yeah. Right. And so there's that conflict going on also. And then there's um, the Robocop, uh, a.k.a. Murphy, realizing who he used to be, right? So he goes back to his old house, walks around, start to re- starts to remember that he was a person and mm-hmm. with a real life, and that's not there anymore and all that. So.
0: I feel like this scene doesn't work if you have the shot of him having his brain blown out.
1: That's probably true, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> because it's like, no, those cells don't <laughs> exist in your body anymore. That's right.
1: That's right. And so so I think you're right. It probably was good to have that cut out because in this one you can actually see like, you know, where those experiences have come from, how he's retained some of that uh, personality when he yeah. like, twirls the gun and stuff. That's what his kid wanted him to do. like right. That kind of stuff. So The
0: one big thing that I had wished as I was watching this yeah. was I just wished there was a little bit more time spent up front making me care about Murphy.
1: Sure, sure.
0: I I feel like we get like one scene of him trying to twirl his gun and talk
1: about his kid and yeah. talk
0: about his kid and, and then that's kind of it. And 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 then he becomes Robocop and we're supposed to care about his, his humanity, but we don't really have anything to link back to why his humanity was so important. Obviously, like everyone's humanity is important. Sure. sure but sure. you know what I'm saying? Oh, like the we- humanity
1: <laughs> people should care about other people, whatever. <laughs>
0: But I guess I Nerds. just, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like we, we don't, they, the, there isn't a lot of time given to the audience to care about him specifically right. and his, like, yeah. uh, to,
1: to, like who to want was to a person, root yeah. for his personhood coming back. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair. I, I, I thought it was, uh, it, it was very quick. Like you're not with Murphy very long before he's Robocop. Yeah, But it's true. also a science fiction film. So, you know, sometimes you, you skimp on the, the personality stuff. Yeah. Um, also, I think they did want to rev- have it as a reveal rather than as like a preloading it, right? So it's like we're revealing that Murphy had a wife and kid and and that's a, a thing that happens later on that we are exposed to as he as he remembers it right. rather than front-loading it and then being like, oh, wasn't that so sad? Like, I don't know. Uh,
0: Maybe, but I think that there, I, I just think that there could have been more time spent developing him and, sure. uh, it, uh, in addition to it. Even if we don't really get to know him as a father and, and husband, like, just him as a as a good guy who's yeah. a, who really wants to, like, do what's right. Right. That's fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, where we converge at the end of, like, the second act is Robocop uh, gets um, Kurt Woodsmith's character and throws him through a bunch of plate glass windows after he murders everyone in the the drug factory. Mm-hmm. And while he's doing that, he's like reading him his Miranda rights. It's like, you have the right to remain silent. And he throws him through a glass window. Yeah, I go.
0: don't think that passes the legal sniff test. Well,
1: so what's funny is um, <laughs> they screened the movie for the LAPD after it was, you know, done. And <laughs> oh, the, <sorry. laughs> the, the writer, well, the writer was like, oh my God, they're going to hate this because they're going to see that we're just like, dragging cops basically um and they loved it especially Uh that scene and they were like oh we think this is hey the the writer was like oh they they think this is good they Uh think this is how policing should work like they don't get the subtext Uh they they are fully just textual on the surface which you know that's fine art is what it is but
0: (laughs) right he's like i was I was making this about how police brutality is bad, and they're like, "Yeah, brutality. Yes,
1: we love the brutality part. Do more uh, of that. That, yeah,
0: yeah that, that, that tracks.
1: Tracks." tracks. So, um, at the end, that what happens is uh, Boddicker is now um, revealed to have been in cahoots with uh, Dick Jones this whole time, mm-hmm. and was sort of running the crime so that Dick Jones could implement the ED two hundred nine problem. Right, you have to have a criminal in order to have you know, uh, a criminal deterrent Well, he system. reveals it
0: himself. Yes, He's exactly. like, don't kill me, I'm right. working with your boss. Yeah,
1: Dick Jones, he's the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. And it, that was actually a note from an executive it, at Orion when reading the script. Originally, mm-hmm. uh, the Clarence Boddicker character and the Dick Jones character were not connected at all. It's there was,
0: smart to make them connected. Yes,
1: absolutely. And it makes the story work. Otherwise, it's not nearly as good. Right. Um, so anyway, that's the end of uh, Act 2 uh, when, well, actually, the end of Act 2, sorry, is when uh, RoboCop goes to confront Dick Jones mm-hmm. and arrest him. And it turns out Objective 4 snaps into place. Right. Which just means you cannot arrest any people, uh, you know, in the ICP, higher offices or whatever. And that comes into play later in the at the end of Act 3. But basically, RoboCop shuts down and uh, ends up getting like pretty much destroyed by uh, a combination of ED-209 and the police. Like the police were called that said RoboCop broke in and they start shooting He them. tries to get away. He tries to get and, away, yeah.
0: And all I guess the police force is basically told that he's just this rogue actor right. that uh this rogue technology that they have to take down for the safety of whatever That's right. and so they get they get some fun target practice.
1: Yes. And uh what's funny is in the the scenes where there are um the scientists are like doing stuff with RoboCop, mm-hmm. all the scientists were named after presidents. Um and all of the police officers were named after serial killers. <laughs> oh, so, okay. In case you were in looking for some more subtext about what the writers and director thought. Right. Um so uh RoboCop gets pretty destroyed, ends up uh escaping with Lewis. Lewis drives him away to uh, what ends up being, it's like an abandoned steel factory in Pittsburgh, but, you know, in Detroit, it's just uh, a broken down, uh, abandoned warehouse in Detroit where he can repair himself. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, okay. And, I mean, I think that it's its interesting, right? She brings him a toolbox. Yep. And a screwdriver, and he's, like, taking off his faceplate and trying to recalibrate and trying to- um,
1: Fix his targeting system and all that yeah, stuff.
0: Yeah, to just repair his-, his broken robot body. Yep. Well, speaking of repairing with robots. Yes. uh, I did something when I was doing research. Uh, I... I conflated a little bit the two or I basically you gave me this article about the gentleman who um hey, from the, the New York Times paralyzed, yeah. who's paralyzed and I also just started looking up independently of that uh because it's RoboCop mm-hmm. how are we using AI with prosthetics
1: mm-hmm.
0: because obviously we're using you know he's
1: the, I mean, the, he has prosthetics, like he, his hand got his blown off. His entire like, yeah. body
0: is is prosthetics. And yeah. so what's interesting is that, you know, we are obviously using AI with this, the, uh, with this person who's paralyzed. But also for people who have missing limbs, we're able to now start using AI to help them in a variety of different ways. Yes. So before we get into the prosthetics that we're using AI for, just a little bit of background on how prosthetics work right now. The way that most prosthetics work is that we uh, use uh, the prosthetic body part to basically detect what the muscle movement of the shoulder or the chest or or whatever the main muscle is that it's attached to is trying to do. And then the person who um, is using the prosthetic has to move their muscle in a very specific way. To get the right. prosthetic to do the thing that they want it to do. So, like, if I have um an arm mm-hmm. that is a prosthetic arm using traditional prosthetic technology, I have to twitch my my upper bicep.
1: Like, let's you're say you're training connected a, at a the, muscle to use in a different way. Yeah,
0: yeah, like let's say it's connected at the elbow. I have to I have to. Tr- it has a sensor that senses what my bicep is trying to do, and I have to make my arm or move in a specific way to get the, the prosthetic to open or close the way that I want it to, but there's no feedback, right? Right, right. I am, it's a very sort of rudimentary, I'm doing a thing with my muscles in my arm and the prosthetic is being triggered in order to do it. But the, the other thing though, about that is that it's, it, it's really a difficult process to train somebody mm-hmm. on how to use that prosthetic appropriately because it's not like a natural muscle right, movement. Right. It is not as though I'm I'm saying I want to pick up a glass of water, so I'm going to make my arm move in the way that I would to pick up a glass you, of water. You just
1: think, and yeah, but that's yeah.
0: right. I mean, you and also you probably couldn't even pick up a glass of water because it would be, it wouldn't be sensitive enough. Yeah, yeah, to have that that feedback right. of like you know, being that. Um, <laughs> do not
1: break the glass. Right. It <laughs> yeah. Probably
0: break the glass. So um, it requires a lot of training. Um, it's often very frustrating and stressful. And it also takes a lot of actual like physical strength in order to do that. Plus it's mm-hmm. a, a kind of complex system. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we have instead is this emergence of artificial intelligence that is allowing, uh, that is allowing advancements in prosthesis in Uh, four main different kinds of ways. So the first way that we have AI allowing for improvements in prosthesis is that it helps uh, the user to interpret and then react to their external environment. So if I, for instance, let's say that I have a prosthetic leg and I wanted to be able to walk on a surface that isn't just flat, then uh, what the AI is able to do is is able to Understand the surface that's being walked on Mm -hmm. and respond in real time. So it can just—they have a a leg from uh, NC State University, for instance, that can distinguish among, huh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that can distinguish among six different kinds of surfaces: so tile, brick, concrete, grass, going upstairs and going downstairs. And it, it again, it can recognize these surfaces and adjust the way that it's walking in real time using AI. Another way, the second way, is that it can interpret and react to the user's body movements. Um, so, for instance, uh, it's it, there's something called smart sockets, mm-hmm. which is just like devices that are equipped with sensors, and they can detect the volume of changes in the... The limb over time, and they can automatically adjust the socket to maintain a secure, comfortable fit. Okay. So, like let's say you like gain or lose weight For or sure. muscle mass or whatever, it can it, can it can adapt without having to go in and having it recalibrated and nice. readjusted. Um, and then it can also, um, with the same device, uh, identify be more responsive to the user's tendencies. Um, and learn like the kind of fit that they prefer based off of whether or not they're super active or Mm -hmm. more sedentary. So it can just adjust the way that it fits based off of the size or the activity of the user.
1: Wow, that's neat.
0: Yeah, Uh, it gets more neat. Uh, So the third way is interpreting and reacting to the user's intent. So not just their body movement, but what they actually want to do. all of these Let's are linked to. Just imagine me with
1: a prosthetic where it just keeps flipping people off. It's like <laughs> I, that was my intent, but keep it chill, Arm.
0: Um, well, so this is uh, this is this is something that's um, again, all of these are linked to. Um, so some uh, a high profile example of this where the the AI is basically um it's called esper's hand Mm. and it is the first ai-powered cloud-based robotic prosthetic that gets smarter over time Hmm. okay and it doesn't have a a sensor in the brain but rather it has 24 sensors that are connected and detect the process of movement in the 20 muscles of the forearm and it learns over time how to translate the signals that it receives from your arm Interesting. into uh with ever increasing precision so That's the cool. more you use it the more it learns yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's 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 not just you saying like I'm I'm going to move my muscle in a pre programmed specific way and mm-hmm. I'm being dictated by what the arm is able to do but yeah. the arm learns what you want to do with your muscles.
1: Interesting. That's really cool. I think that's uh, a very good use of that type of like learning algorithm.
0: Yeah, it's it's super cool. Okay, and then um In addition, we have a different model from the University of Minnesota that has a prototype of a limb that uses nerve implants that read and interpret signals coming directly from the brain. And it's a small implant that actually attaches to the peripheral nerve in the arm. Oh, okay. So it's not not a brain implant, but it is a a nerve in the arm, and it's basically... It's basically picking up where the the limb leaves off, right? right? And right. it's saying like this is what this nerve is wanting to do, and then yeah. it uses rather than the
1: muscle it connects to the nervous system exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. And so
0: it's learning directly from the nerves what the arm is intending to do, which cool. is also uh, super cool.
1: Yeah, that that's really exciting, and I think it's like, and it's I, you know sounds futuristic, sounds right. like sci-fi, which is I think why we <laughs> pair it with like a sci-fi, um, you know, movie but like it's very uh, heartening to see like the speed at which this seems to be like a developing field right or like it, you know prosthesis has been around forever right. and they've been doing like you said sort of these versions that are half measures or like they're they're helpful but not you know it's not as good as it could be
0: directly tapping into the yeah. brain right it's yeah. it's not like a plug and play sort right. of situation. But you're um, getting
1: much more fidelity now.
0: Yeah. And they're using AI to do a lot of different a lot of different applications. So bladder and bowel control movement, deep brain stimulation, restoration of mobility and uh respiration yeah. in paralyzed individuals. And then the other thing that that you sort of see in almost all aspects of of technological advances where you're doing something for a very specialized community is you also have scientists that are, you know, postulating ways that this can apply to the broader population. So for instance, Doc Ock
1: arms for uh, (laughs) everyone.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, no. I mean, what they're saying is basically, you know, if we can implant something in your brain that can interpret your brain waves, brain waves, it doesn't just have the ability to control a prosthetic, but yeah. it could control your radio or your computer, your yeah, smart yeah, device, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: that's uh, Gabe Newell, the guy who um, was the head of Valve for, uh, I think may still be, but um, he's big on like brain computer interface stuff. Yeah. So. Um but that's that's very cool. Yeah. So um, I'm going to speed through the the third act of this film because basically there are two things that happen okay there is robocop out in this like steel factory where kurtwood smith and his gang show up with a bunch of fancy weapons um, that they got from uh dick jones and they try to kill robocop turns out doesn't work because he's robocop right (laughs) clarence bodiger gets stabbed in the neck with a little (laughs) like futuristic usb device Mm -hmm. that robocop has in his hand or uh, built into his arm um and so you know RoboCop says great well I've I've beaten these bad guys now I gotta go get the real guy um, at ICP who's Dick Jones. Mm-hmm. Um oh the the one part that uh, was cited by Verhoeven as the fan favorite part of this movie. Okay, I like, got the biggest reaction at screenings was when the guy goes into the toxic sludge and starts like melting and turning into like you know a big yeah, toxic goo yeah, yeah. and then uh, Boddicker hits him with the car and he just goes. <laughs> Explodes like a bag of like goo,
0: a, like a water
1: balloon, yeah. basically. Yeah, I, I thought that might have been your favorite part too. It was at least got the loudest audible reaction from you. You were like, "Oh!" <laughs> um, so anyway,
0: I mean the 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 deterioration of that guy's body, yeah, 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 and the subsequent explosion of like his meat sack is definitely meat
1: sack. Yes,
0: is definitely the f- the most fun yes yeah of the film very
1: visceral um, and then um, the final part of the film is RoboCop goes to get uh, Dick Jones who then takes the old man quote unquote who runs ICP hostage mm-hmm. and he's like I want a helicopter I want to get out of here and blah 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 um, and this was something that a person on set I guess just came up with they were like how are we gonna get RoboCop to shoot you know uh, Dick Jones's character and like, he can't shoot the you know, the heads of ICP. How do we get out of this? Is he going to arrest him or something? And uh, some, I guess just some dude walking by, I was like, why don't you have the guy firing? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> so,
0: I love that. Cause it's, it's so funny yeah. and in such an elegant
1: it's a ele- yeah, very elegant it's solution the to the way, problem, yeah. like It's
0: the way that you get out of that situation, yep. right? It's very, very smart. Whoever yep. that guy is, give him a raise. Yes, that's right. Give him more money and yeah. better jobs. Yeah,
1: and so uh, he, Dick Jones gets fired. Robocop shoots him, and out he falls out the window uh, to his demise. And then as Robocop leaves, somebody says, hey, oh, the old man says, hey, what's your name? He says, Murphy. Right. The end. And that's it. <laughs> uh, so as i mentioned earlier robocop is is one of my favorite movies mm. um I, I i love science fiction i love uh verhoven i love uh satire and cultural commentary this is all like you know I, I love the the western nature of this also there's there are elements of that there's um there's just so much going on in this one film so much of it by accident like you know i, I had mentioned the narrative structure being sort of a mirror right and there's this Really good post that somebody wrote about it and how he broke down the scenes and they're all mirrors of each other from front to back. Mm-hmm. That was completely by accident or maybe the editor did it in post, but it's like there were additional scenes that got cut out of the beginning that they mm-hmm. didn't shoot. You know, from the the script, there are elements that got added in, like that last m- moment that I just talked about. Like some OCD editor is like, I get no credit. <laughs> I know, yeah, and so it's really just a. a you know the suit was a pain, and for every, for uh, Weller to use, he lost three pounds a day every time he wore that suit. Um, oh, wow. Just in water weight, he just yeah. like, it out. And so it was just like, um, you know, it, it was a, a nightmare. There's a, a, a documentary thing on um, Netflix called "The Movies That Made Us," and they have an episode on RoboCop. You can watch that for a shorter version of of some of the production disaster stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, um, yeah, it was it was. Um, a really insane production that resulted in a really great movie that has like all of these elements of like modern American cinema.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I, I think that it, so if we're getting to, do we recommend, yeah. I feel like hard. Yes, for hard you. yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I say yes with caveats. Um, I, you know what? I think that both our moms would be fine watching this because they are both fine watching sure. like super gory stuff. I don't know if that's like all moms or just our moms Probably specifically. Probably just our moms. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I say yes, but uh, really know that it's graphic mm-hmm. graphic yes. content. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, social commentary. Be thinking about that. Like mm-hmm. I would I would just want to give people like those two things yeah. going into it
1: Go in. i mean like you can go in knowing nothing and just like if you want an action movie this is an action movie well but, but, but not then you're like missing. a 12 year old no no yes that's right yeah but i'm just saying like if you're whatever 30 years old and you're watching a movie and you've never seen robocop and you just want to go in and enjoy an action movie you can watch it that way right um you will get less out of it right, right. but like there is a an artistic interpretation intended here mm-hmm. um they didn't get a a You know, uh, Dutch director for nothing, right? Right. He's got things to say. So, anyway, yeah, go watch Robocop if you haven't seen it already. Uh, Go watch it again if you have. Um, But please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts
0: that's right uh you can find us on twitter i guess we're at the crosscut uh Uh, don't
1: yeah don't do that i mean (laughs) i haven't
0: been able to like go back on there i don't know what to tell you
1: instagram probably find us
0: on instagram maybe on threads in the future who knows we are at the crosscut pod on instagram and i guess if we ever decide to do threads on there then we would be that as well yeah sure um and uh yeah uh or you can find hey you can find me on threads i'm Oh, Jesse, O-H-J-E-S-S-E. Yeah. Uh, And I've been threading up a storm.
1: You've been been talking. Yeah. (laughs) I think I I said like three things (laughs) on there. So, you know, Um, anyway, just, you know what? Don't just talk to your friends about us. Or, don't go on social media. Just go yeah, to go away. to local clubs and hang out. Stay <laughs>
0: away because uh, it's all basically just that toxic sludge that uh, yeah. poured out of Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get you're
1: like going to get run over by an, uh, a you, late model Chevy. That's right. to explode into a pile like a, of goo. Like a meat sack. Like a meat sack. Sorry, right, don't love you. do it. <laughs> Bye everybody.
0: <laughs> Bye.